Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Unstoppable. My name is Kerwin Ray and it would make sense that I'm your host. And today I chat with another parenting expert, Dr. Justin Colson. Justin is the author behind the 21 Days to Happier Family and the 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know. He writes weekly columns for the Sydney Daily Telegraph and appears regularly on shows like The Project, The Today Show and Studio 10. Dr. Justin knows a thing or two about successful parenting, discipline and how to work with your children and not against them. So for those of you with kids that are unruly and you're looking to learn how to discipline, this is a podcast for you and if you haven't checked it out already we also have another incredible podcast with parenting expert dr vanessa lapointe that you'll want to check out also stay tuned for this one Ladies and gentlemen, it's a real honour to welcome Dr. Justin Colson. Great to have you, Dr. J. So good to be here. Can I call you Dr. J? Uh, you can call me whatever you want. I'll smile and say, that's fine. No problem at all. <laughs> you won't be the first person. You clearly are a parenting expert to be able to say something like that because you've got to be able to deal with a lot of stuff you know, as a, parenting, as a parent, but as a parenting expert, we really do need to build thick skins, don't we? Yeah, you know, I think it's not even just about parenting, and I think this will come out a lot yeah, as we right. discuss today. It's about relationships. And life, really, isn't it? Right, and yeah. if you can navigate the unexpected that gets thrown at you with, with an unusual name yeah. or, uh, or, or far worse with employees or toddlers yeah. who sometimes hand us unwanted output, um, either verbally or in, in their actions, if you can deal with that well, your relationships will be smooth and, and easy, and life is so much better. And so funny, we went there really fast because parenting and leadership are the same thing. Yeah, straight. I'm just cut to the chase. Let's straight just, to the chase because yeah. I, I've said to you know because we obviously work with entrepreneurs, but yes. a lot of our a huge amount of our client base, you know, but I think it's like almost ninety five percent of our followers are parents. Yep. Uh, and what's, what I've said to them, as in business, like, can you imagine walking up to an employee and when they do something wrong, screaming at them and smacking them? Or say, go, go to your office and think yeah. about what you've done. Go to done. the corner <laughs> and think about what you've done. How old are you? 43 <laughs> minutes in the corner to think about this, for goodness sakes. Okay, so for people who don't know Dr. Dr. J, Dr. Justin Colson, quick blurb, who are you, what do you do, why are we going to listen? All right, uh, let, let's do the 30-second version. Yeah, I, right. I grew up in New South Wales on the Central Coast, wanted to be a radio announcer all my life. Yeah, right. Uh, once I finished school, I did a couple of years of volunteer work yeah. uh, and then became a radio announcer. Spent about a decade as a radio DJ, had a couple of kids aged three and zero yeah. and had this awful experience one day and it was one of several, unfortunately, but this was a particularly bad one where I just, I treated my three-year-old so badly. And, and it- Did you lock him in a cupboard? Uh, far worse. I, I, I lost the, it was, it was one of those afternoons where I was exhausted. I hadn't slept the night before, you know, cause I'm living the radio DJ life, right? So Friday night, I'm out till all hours. I'm up at stupid Sparrow o'clock to, yeah. to, to work on the radio from six till midday uh, at Brisbane's B105 where we, you know- play. Oh my God, I grew up in Brisbane, oh, B105, right. Jamie Dunn. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so I worked with those guys. I was on B105 where we played all of today's best music while you worked. <laughs> and, um, and, and I've gotten home, I've had two hours sleep. And you know, when you're on the radio, you've got to sound like you're having the best day ever. Yeah. And so I'm pushing back the exhaustion. I get home, it's one of those hot Brisbane afternoons. I'm shattered. My wife says to me, I got to go out. Um, I'm going to leave the two kids with you. And I'm like, oh, I've just got to sleep. I'm wrecked. And Kylie says to me, no, 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 no. It's okay. The baby's just gone to sleep. And Chanel, our three-year-old, she's going to be ready for a sleep in, you know, the next 15 minutes or so. Put her to sleep. I'll be back before the kids wake up. You'll be fine. Famous last words. Very You'll nice. be fine. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, cool. No problem. I've gone to put Chanel to sleep. And if you've ever had a three-year-old. Yeah, mine's just turned four. I, I've yeah. seen your little guy, yeah. And, um, you know, they get to that point when they're three where they're sort of going, uh, no, I don't want to sleep in the middle of the day anymore. I'm too big for that now. And and as a that an, was the day. That was the day. Oh, and geez. as an exhausted 
parent yeah. who's completely clueless. I'm just a regular dad at this point. I've got yeah. no idea about parenting. I'm like, oh, I don't think so. You're going to sleep. <laughs> and, and, and if you've ever tried to negotiate with a toddler. Yeah. Or, so, you, well, you know, don't neg- well, the thing is negotiating with children is like negotiating with terrorists. But the difference being is you can actually negotiate with a terrorist. They might talk to you. Yeah, exactly. That's, and so the, the three are, in fact, one of my favorite things to say is um, when our children don't get our attention in civil ways, you know, they, they will resort to terrorism. They, they <laughs> like just. That's so true. They go bananas. Yeah. And so. No, no toddler has ever looked at their parent when their parent has gotten very logical and said, well, excuse me, but you do need to go to sleep. You're exhausted, I'm exhausted, and we're all going to be better for it. Yeah. No toddler has ever said, you know what, Dad? You're, you're right. exactly right. Thanks for laying it out for me so clearly. And, and, so, <laughs> and so I've escalated. Yeah. And she's escalated. And I said, well, I'll see your escalation and I'll raise it again. Yeah, and we're right. going up and up and up. And next thing you know, there's, you know, I, I whacked her and I just, it was horrible. And Eventually, she fell asleep behind the door because I held the door while she kicked it and screamed and all that sort of thing. And, and it was just an awful, awful experience. And I, I walked into the – because cause I wasn't going to sleep after that. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed. It's hard to go to sleep when you're angry and riled up. Not, not a good recipe for sleep. Yeah. And so I walked into the backyard. I'm like, for the first time in my life, I've got, I'm a bad parent. I, I'm a bad dad. And it really affected me. That's humbling. It, 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 it shattered my world. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wish I could say that was the only time I got it wrong. But when you don't have the skills and you don't have, the, you don't have any idea how to do this, you, <laughs> you just kind of don't know where to go. So you keep making those mistakes. And, and I spoke to my wife and said, I, this is what happened. I, I blew it. Um, and, and we discussed a few things and I started to do some research and I ended up quitting my radio career. I went back to school. I spent eight and a half years as a full-time student, wow. graduated with a PhD in psychology. So that, And I'm the only person in the country, only person in Australia who has a PhD in positive psychology and parenting. Yeah, right. Because I wanted to become the best dad I could be. Now, I still mess things up along the way, but along the way, I've, I've written three or four books about parenting now and I, I speak in, uh, internationally and all around Australia, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and, and basically teach people how to get their relationships right and how to boost their well-being. They're, they're interconnected, but they're also separate things. Yeah, right. Uh, and and that's, that's who I am and what I do now. That's the, well, sorry, we got sidetracked with the story, but that's that was, the short but, but No, I think that encapsulates it. Oh, sorry. Well. And I've got six kids. Six kids would qualify anyone to become at least I know start the some journey. people with six kids who aren't qualified yeah, to be parent enough, expert. Cool. What age? What are the ages of your kids? Six uh, kids. So, so our, our eldest daughter is eighteen. She's just started uni. Yeah, right. uh, then we've got a fifteen-year-old daughter, a fourteen-year-old daughter, a ten-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old daughter, and a three-year-old daughter. Do you ever get their names wrong? From time to time. <laughs> Do they take it personally? Uh, yeah, depends on the age. They they hate it. Yeah, right. But but you know, I give them a hug and get their name right and, and we're okay, yeah. So six daughters aged between uh, three, that, that's the yeah. uh, you're destroying my life age, yeah, right. and 18, that's the would you just move out of my house please age. Yeah. Um, and and we, we're just crazy about them. And to answer the questions that everybody's thinking but nobody is impolite enough to ask, we do have a TV, we weren't trying for a boy, and yeah. we're just happy with six, thanks for asking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so parenting, and, and again, I think this is an incredibly, and the reason we brought you on, and again, one of the reasons we spoke to Vanessa, who, you know, you're, you're a colleague of, we're talking about how do we actually you know, give ourselves the best possible chance as parents, but also to give the kids the best possible chance as children to grow up as healthy, as happy, as grounded and you know, functional human beings. So when we talk about parenting, why is it that so many people, so many of us actually screw it up in the first place? Uh, because it's happened to us yeah. and it's guaranteed that we will do it as well. You know, there, there's, there's no way that we're not going to mess up our kids in some way. I'm sorry, that's a really 
nihilistic way of viewing things. But thanks for listening, everybody. You've just screwed the kids up. <laughs> <laughs> You've made a mess of it already. <laughs> the the goal is to make less of a mess of it this time than our parents did for us. Or, I love that. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to get it wrong. We we have we have deeply ingrained unhealthy relationship patterns, whether it's our defensiveness or our stonewalling or whether it's the way we attack uh, and just go at a situation because this is, you know, we're not happy with the way somebody does something and we think we've got to respond to it right here and right now. Um, I, I, I hope I don't embarrass my parents too much by saying this, but my mum was raised in a home where where when there was something on your mind, you talked about it and you didn't just talk about it, you got clear air as fast as you can. And sometimes that would mean being abrupt and direct and and that can be, that can really grate on somebody, especially if they're a little bit more uh, empathic and a little bit more patient and a little bit more, uh, well, my dad, he was raised in a home where you you hold your tongue and you are patient and you think through things and you you just let things go away. And so you've got these two people with such a contrasting view of conflict. Yeah. And then they're raising children who are, are getting hit by a mum who's like, what did you do that for? That was silly, you know, that kind of thing. Not that I'm, my mum is, is is amazing. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating certain aspects for, for, for illustrative purposes. Uh, and then you've got a dad who says, well, let's just give them time to think about it. And so you've got parental conflict, but you've also got these differing styles coming in at the kids. And, and it does impact on the way the kids respond. And then you have a parent who maybe calls their child a name. And the child starts to think, I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. That's it. I'm an I, idiot. Yeah. Or, or you've got a parent who says something so benign as, I oh, don't worry about it. I was never good at athletics either. I was the worst swimmer in the school as well. And the kids start to develop this mindset that says, well, I guess uh, genetically and inherently, I'm not going to be any good at that either. And, and, and we start to create these patterns, this thinking. You know, you might have a parent who's exactly the opposite. I, I want to raise the best kids ever. And so they teach their kids, you can do anything. You've just got to tough it out. And so here's this kid who hates playing the piano, but they've got a parent who's gone all tiger mum and says, you're going to sit here and you're going to do it because I know that you can and you're going to thank me for this one day. And so it seems like almost no matter what we do, we're going to cause our children to have some really significant challenges as they work through their own processes and, and try to become who they really are. But is challenge a spectrum? Is it important for, for kids to have healthy levels of challenge? Because what we're talking about here is we're all going to make mistakes and yep. we're not going to be perfect, but it's about minimizing the level of which we go to to make mistakes so that they don't necessarily impact them in a way where trauma is created that could, you know, lead to other issues down the track. A story and a metaphor. Yep. I'm in the back of a cab. I'm on the way to a venue so I can give a talk somewhere. And the cabbie says to me, so what do you do for work? And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to email people here. I'm trying to make calls. Leave yeah. me alone. But but because I'm... <laughs> I'm a builder. Yeah, I'm in real estate, something, anything. But And so I, I, I sighed and I put my phone down because I, I value connection and I value helping people. And and frankly, I would rather make this cabbie's day than get that email fired off. And so I said, well, you know, I, um, I write books about parenting and, I, and relationships and being happy and I give talks and I'm going to give a talk right now about parenting. And he said, oh, he said, I have a question for you. This <laughs> is the normal response. Normal response. That, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, I figured you'd have one. Is my cab ride free? Because you're about to ask for all this free advice. But he's like, no, you pay for the cab. I'm like, that's okay. I'll give you free advice anyway. He says, how do I make sure that my son becomes a pilot? Wow. Wow. No pressure. No pressure. And yeah. I said, wow. Yeah, and I, exactly the same response. Makes as watch you. Top Gun every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so we talked about a whole lot of things. And eventually I steered the conversation around to does it matter uh, what your son 
becomes or does it matter who your son becomes? And we shifted the conversation from, you know, titles and, and careers to character. And, and I asked him, I said to him, tell me about your dad. And he said, because um, he, he told me his, he, he wanted his son to be a pilot so he'd be successful because he was just a taxi driver. And I said, well, tell me about your dad. And he said, well, he lives in India uh, and he's a peasant farmer. Uh, and he, uh, he, you know, he has nothing. He has nothing at all. He thinks that we live so wealthy uh, here in Australia. And I said, how do you feel about your dad? What kind of person is he? And he, he got quite emotional. He got a bit weepy and he just, he talked about these beautiful character attributes that his father had. He's a hard worker and he's honest and he, he gives everything for anybody. And, and I said, does that, you know, does that light you up? Does that make you feel enlivened and enlarged when you think about those characteristics? He said, yeah, 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 it does. I said, do you think that your son will look at you and say to you, you were just a taxi driver? I said, you know, how will he see you if you see your dad like that? And, and it really changed the conversation. He was like, yeah, I, he'll see me as a hard worker. He'll see me as somebody who loved his children and would do anything for them. And so we had this wonderful conversation about who, not what, do you want your son to be? And my last question for him before I go to the cab was, so tell me how old your son is anyway? He said, he's two weeks old. Wow. <laughs> I said, forget the pilot thing, just raise him to be a great kid. Yeah. So that's, that's the story. The metaphor is, um, has escaped me. I got caught up with the story. It'll great come back story. to me later. It will come back to you in a moment. Um, but but, but the, the thing here is we, we want to help our kids to work out who they really are yeah. uh, and, and forcing them into, oh, the metaphor, there it is, it's come back to me. Uh, in terms of dealing with challenge, you, you, you raised this idea, kids have got to go through some tough stuff and they do so that they can work out who they are. And I liken it to, in, in my book, uh, Nine Ways to a Resilient Child, I liken it to this idea of a balance beam. You remember you're at school and you've got to walk across the balance beam yeah. and there's somebody on either side of you, they've got their arms outstretched so that if you overbalance, they can break your fall. And, and as you start to tip, they just put their hands on you and sort of tip you back onto the beam. And I think that's what our job is as parents. Mm. We put our kids on the balance beam. We don't want them to fall and land and break bones, but we do want them to walk across the beam on their own. And so we walk beside them to support them. And if they start to tip, we might give them a little nudge back onto the beam. We're there to just make sure that they don't fall and hurt themselves too badly. And if they do fall and we can't quite stop them, at least we can arrest the fall, we can break the fall and they can have that fall slowed because we're there beside them. So yes, they do need to face challenges. They don't get strong. You know, you don't become a, uh, well, you don't get a body like yours, Kerwin, by not going to the gym and working out. You know, you've got to have that. I think he's hitting on me. You've got to have that resistance. Yeah. The resistance make you, makes you stronger. But th this idea that you've got to tell people to toughen up. Yeah. Toughen up, princess. Drink some concrete. Yeah. Uh, the research would suggest that that's not the best way to make people stronger. It's not the best way to make them resilient. In fact, repeated failure experiences tend to destroy resilience. Repeated success experiences tend to build resilience so long as there's an appropriate level of weight to push against. So let's, let's, let's move back a little bit because obviously research is where everything is transformed in terms of the way that we view early childhood, the way that we view early childhood development, but also the things that are required for a healthy brain to develop and for a healthy child to develop. But let's maybe, let's go back to the old school mentality just so that we can talk about perhaps some of the symptoms that people might think that is, well, that's just normal. That's how, because again, one of the things that I learned when, when I said, when I, my son was born, I think it was about the age of two. Uh, and very much yourself, full respect to my mum. She did an incredible job. She raised me on her own with my brother since I was six months old. 
Uh, she did the very best that she could with the tools that she had. And she did a bloody good job. Like I consider myself to be an incredible human being. But one of the things that she didn't necessarily have a grasp on was how to discipline without damage, you know, which right. is a great title for a book. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I did when my son was born, he was about two, he was sitting on the couch and I just looked at him and I started to think about all the ways that I was disciplined as a child. Because I actually, even a few years ago before my child was born, I, I reposted that picture that says, you know, I was spanked as a child and I grew up with a condition called respectful authority. And so I was a full subscriber to, you know, discipline from where I've come from. And then I started to look at my son and when my son was born, to me, that was a, one of the most profound moments of my life. It was one of the most purposely driven moments. It was when I finally realized I knew exactly what, apart from my purpose in life in business, I knew this is what I'm here to do. And this will enable me to fulfill my purpose at the highest level, to be the best dad possible. But then I looked at this kid, this incredible, innocent being, and I started to visualize myself doing all the things that my mom had done to me as a child. And I actually, and this is no disrespect to my mom because she did the best that she could, I started to cry because I, I just thought to myself, I can't possibly even fathom doing that to a child, let alone my child, but my child kind of brought it home. And it was at that point I had a very fundamental shift in the way that I viewed, you know, how I'm going to raise this boy. Because I hadn't done it. I just visualized it. I'd always said to myself, I'm not going to, I'm going to do it differently. But this was like a, it was a gestalt moment. Like it was a very strong moment. So for those people that are perhaps listening that are thinking that might be doing some of the things that are old school that in some cases can, you know, create maladaptive development in the brain, what are some of the old school 80s techniques that we need to be aware of that aren't necessarily, they might be quick, they might be fast, but they're not effective long-term. Yeah, I love the way you've, you've highlighted this idea of fast. Yeah. See, the reason that we go with these less effective techniques is because they get us a short-term result. Yeah. Uh, I love what Stephen Covey said. He said, fast is slow and slow is fast. And so what happens is when we go with that, that quick fix, we get an instant result, but we have to keep doing it again and again and again. And it has to get more and more severe for it to Almost have like addiction, really. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Uh, for us and for them. Um, alternatively, if we get it right at the start by slowing it right down and doing what Alfie Cohn calls working with your children rather than doing things to them, mm. it's a slow start. But boy, oh boy, we, we create uh, this internalization where over time it gets quicker and easier because they get it. So, so the, the, the obvious stuff is, you know, children should be seen and not heard. Uh, the parent is the one with all the control. And, and parents typically still rely on all these power techniques. And it's not just parents. You know, I want to draw this very clear um, parallel to, uh, to, to, to business and team leading and, and management. Uh, this, is, this is all leadership. I don't care if you're leading two-year-olds or 42-year-olds. It's all leadership. Uh, I... I I've walked into the, I've walked into the bedroom of my baby girl. Uh, she's three and a half now, but when she was about one, one and a half, um, it was the afternoon. And you know when the, you know when your child is in their cot and they're just gurgling away and they're talking to themselves and they're so happy. And you're like, they've just had their afternoon nap, but they're happy. I'm not going to get them because as much as I love them, they're really happy, and I'm enjoying the peace and quiet and just hearing them gurgle away. And so I'm. Just listening as I'm working. I'm getting clucky. I'm getting, I'm getting clucky right now. It's gorgeous, isn't it? And and then I kind of I, I noticed a slight change in the way she was talking to herself, and uh, and I was like, oh, I think that she's starting to get a bit restless. I'll I'll go in there. And as I walked in, she smiled at me, and that smile, like you are the most important person in my world. And yeah, because you are. Yeah. yeah. 
and um, she smiled at me and, and I'm like, Emily, it's so good to see you. You're awake. And she held out her hand and I'm like, what's she got in her hand? And not that I would let my child sleep with something sharp or dangerous, but I immediately became concerned, you know, kids find stuff yeah, all over the place. Switchblades, tasers. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, and I put out my hand, I've said, Tata Daddy, and into my hand she places this little piece of poo. Oh. So she's dug into her nappy and yeah, she's pulled out wow. a little piece of poo and she's put it in my hand. Oh, that's so beautiful. Isn't it? I, yeah. and, and, and in that moment I had this thought. I thought, how do I respond to this? And instantly I thought of the parallels for life yeah. because every single day in life, whether you're a parent or an employer or even just someone walking down the street, somebody that you have some relationship with is going to hand you an unwanted piece of shockingly unexpected grossness. I'll, I'll translate that. He means shit. No, I didn't say that. I said shockingly unexpected <laughs> no, no. stuff. I'll translate that. And, and, and when they do that, yeah. what kind of a parent or what kind of an employer are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of person who starts throwing metaphorical crap all around the room, throwing it back at them? What are you giving me this for? It's not good enough. Uh, go to your room, go to the corner, go think about this. You're fired, you're this, you're that. Whether it's for kids or whether it's, you know, are we going to hit them? Are we, we going to yell at them, abuse them? Or is there another way? And, and I think that there is. And, and whether you're an adult dealing with adults or an adult dealing with kids, I, I call it the three E's of effective discipline. But it, it, it's much more expansive than just discipline. And you've got the book right next to you. I outline this all in, 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 in the book. Um, the first E is explain. The second E is explore. And the third E is empower. And all of this is couched in or surrounded by empathy. Yep. So if I was to summarize the three E's in one sentence, is, it, it is this. Do I want to hurt this person or do I want to help them? And when we approach discipline from a hurting perspective, we just use our power to get the result we want. Sit down, shut up, let me hit you, let me put you in, let me take your iPad off you. I'm in charge, you've upset me, done. But that doesn't really do much teaching. It doesn't really is do much deeper, help. Is there a deeper correlation there between people in pain, inflict pain, and if people are still in pain from the way they've been parented, that's going to increase the likelihood of them? Yeah, you're getting a bit Freudian. No, no, no. But there is that idea that hurt people hurt people. Yep. Uh, and, and I think that if we can move beyond that and shift our uh, – this, this might sound a little bit woohoo, but, but if we can shift our heart yes. from my agenda to – let me just help you be a better human. And that's what this podcast is all about, right? If, if I can shift my, my motivation, my intention from a negative energy, this is affecting me and this is how it's affecting me and I'm ticked off and now I'm going to hurt you because of it, to a positive energy, I value you, I respect you, I have empathy for you and I want to help you. you the difference in energy is instant and, and it changes the And we are talking energy here. Because I think it, you can give someone the tools, but if they ha can't regulate their own space and their own energy. Energy and intention. Yeah. Great book by David Hawkins called Power Versus Force. Beautiful book. You know it. Oh, very well. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this is getting into that. There's also an even, I think, better book by a guy called Kim Cameron called Positive Leadership. And he talks about uh, creating a virtuous organization. Do you know the person who I've seen actually demonstrate this at the absolute highest level in the most incredible ways? Is Caesar Milan. The way he works with dogs. Right. It's all energy. Right. So he talks about dog psychology. He talks about, I don't rehabilitate the dog. He says, sorry, he says, I don't train the dog. He says, I rehabilitate I the, the dog. 
and I train the owner. Yeah, to, to have that positive energy. Exactly, because the dogs are often behaving as a result of the way that they've been brought up around the energy. And it's not about the, the way you discipline the dog, yeah. it's the energy that you bring to the conversation with the dog. Yeah. And he's just done it beautifully. But anyway. Yeah, please. so, so, so in, 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 in a quick sentence, it's do I want to help this person or mm. do I want to hurt them? And the yeah. three E's are about helping. So explain goes like this. Um, okay, here's an embarrassing one from my home just recently. I've gone into the bathroom and there's an empty cardboard roll on the holder. There's no paper on it. And that that's a, that's an issue, right? I mean, when you, you've got six kids shitting every day, you, that's a you don't issue. want to have to deal with that. <laughs> that one, you'd literally have that every day. Six kids. We, we are heavy consumers of toilet paper, let yeah. me tell you. And so, <laughs> and so you, you, you walk in there and, and, and I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm quite upset right now because time is of the essence in those moments and uh, I, I have a, a need that should be fulfilled here. And, and now I- with cardboard. That, that's right. It's not going to work. And so I, I, I paused and I thought, okay, do I want to help or do I want to hurt? And part of me did want to hurt right then, but, but I changed the energy. And I was like, okay, I want to help. So I called an urgent family meeting right then. I raced out of the bathroom <laughs> and, and I said, urgent family meeting, everybody in the living room right now. And I was holding a toilet roll holder, the, you know, the piece of cardboard. And they all ran in because, you know, when dad says urgent family meeting, everyone gets into the living room straight away. Yeah. And I've held it up and I've said, we have got a problem. It's a big problem. Somebody stole on all the toilet paper. <laughs> I, said, I don't know if it was the dog. I don't know if it was the chickens in the backyard, but it, it, something has gone wrong here. Can you please, please tell me what, what are we going to do to fix this? And so there's two ways to explain. You can either say it, but kids and employees, they start to go, blah, 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 blah. He's talking again. Oh, yeah, it does his talk, for goodness sakes. So I like to explain the first time. And I actually explained to the family. I said, imagine if Nan and Pop were here and one of them needed to use the bathroom. And imagine if they got in there and they didn't notice until it was too late. There was no paper there. That would be embarrassing for them and for us. Nobody wants to see Nan or Pop walking through the living room calling out for toilet paper in that state. That's... And the kids are That's going. Something you can't answer. The, the kids are just going. Oh, Dad, don't go there. And, and so I, I did some explaining. Uh, yeah. I spent some time explaining. But once you've, once you've explained, and you oh, look, it's great to explain and have fun with it. But if you, you, you know, some people are saying, I have told my child to pick that wet towel up off the floor yeah. three thousand times. I'm done explaining. Now, explaining is not because I said so. Pick the towel up just because that's what we do. That's not explaining. Explaining is, did you know that if you leave the towel on the floor, it stinks and the carpet can get mildewed or moldy and it's just horrible? That's explain. But once you've done that a few times and you've done it properly, if they're still doing it, you get them to explain it to you because you're boring and they're not. Yeah, so right. you say, we've talked about this. Can you help me to understand why I keep talking to you about this? And you get them to talk and you get to identify the gaps in their knowledge. And it works beautifully in an HR environment as well. You get to say, we've talked about this issue of drugs in the workplace three or four times. We've had some very explicit trainings. Can you please explain to me what you understand about this issue? You get to identify the gaps in, the work, in, in, in their knowledge yep. and you can fill them in. That's explain. Explore goes like this. In spite of our explanations, you seem to be having a hard time with this. Can you help me to understand what it's like to be you? And I've said this to my teenagers. I'm like, it must, it must be hard without a prefrontal cortex. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so help me to understand what it's really every single secret <laughs> of the universe. And I'm going to deal with idiots like me. It's like, <laughs> and so we have this conversation, and 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 it's really about saying, hmm, you're struggling with this, and I don't get why. Can you help me to see why this is so hard for you? And it's really about getting into their space, getting into their headspace, taking their perspective, understanding it from their. From their, from their world. And then you empower, which means you say, okay, you know what's expected because I've explained it or you've explained it to me. 
I get how it is for you because we've explored that. I really do understand what it's like to be 10 and have this issue or, you know, be an employee here and have this issue. I get it. So where do we go from here? That's what empowerment is. It's like, what do you think is the best solution? And this is where we give all the power to the other person. Now, this is counterintuitive for a parent to give all the power to their child. Mm -hmm. And we say, what do you think? Where to from here? How do we make this better? If you are in my position, this is a great question for an employer or a parent. If you are in my position, what would you think was appropriate to fix this? And we, we quite literally delegate our power to them. Now, if they come up with an idea that's not a good one, if the answer revolves around some violence or doing nothing or leaving the status quo or, you know, whatever it is, you may say to them something like, well, that's one option. If we were to pursue that to its logical end, how would that end up? Does that, does that really work? Because from my perspective, I can't see it working. What is an alternative? It's like, you know, here's a ball. I want you to kick the ball into the net. Oh, you kicked it out of bounds. I want you to kick it again. Let's keep it within the boundaries, okay? The net's over there. I don't care how we get it there, but we can't go out of these boundaries. I'm leaving it up to you to, let's work together on this. And, and so that's a slow process. It could take two minutes. It could take two days. It could take two weeks. Yeah. But what you do is you get this buy-in, you get this internalization, and pretty soon they're doing it because they just know it's the right thing to do and they're willing to do it. And you're also provoking them to use their brain. You're also provoking thought process. You're also provoking the frontal cortex to develop, you know, which is Spot on. You know, rational problem solving. Yeah. Um, but what I'm curious, you've kind of, and I'm not sure if you avoided this deliberately, but the symptoms, like this is great, you know, it's, and it's, this is slow to be fast. This is how we discipline a child. Before we go back to the symptoms, I am curious to know, because I've got this philosophy, you know, speak to them like they're a genius and a genius they'll become. You use quite complex language in the way that you went through your process there with the explain, explore, empower. Would you use that level of language with like a three or four-year-old? No, but I would use the same process. Yep. Uh, and a three or four-year-old is going to be a lot less verbal. They regulate their emotions and their behavior a lot less. Uh, and the conversation is going to be a lot simpler and a lot shorter. Yep. And it might go something like this. Um, what's your little guy's name? Noah. Noah, that's right. Noah. I've, I've read about Noah. Um, but you might say, and I know Noah doesn't have a sibling yep. at this point, Not but let, yep. let's, just, let's just say Noah has a, a little sister. And, and, and um, he's a few years older now and he, he hurts her. He pinches her or he scratches her or he punches her or he hits her or, you know, takes the train off her or whatever it is. And, and, and you walk over to Noah and you move him away from the situation. You make sure his little sister's okay because triage comes first. Mm -hmm. And once she's calm, you, you say, Noah, we need to have a chat. You know, we've got some rules in our house about treating people with respect and what you just did there was not respectful. It made her upset. That's the explaining bit. Mm -hmm. Or you might even ask him, Noah, when you treat your sister like that, how does she feel? That's a much more powerful way to do it because he's talking and he's also experiencing a level of empathy for his sister. And that's what you really want. You want the empathy. Mm. Not to make him feel guilty, but for, help him, to, for helping him feel. To, to feel, exactly. And once you get there, you say, all right, let me understand a little bit why. Let's, let's just tell me, why did you get so upset that you hurt your sister? And so you can put yourself into his shoes and he'll, he'll say, well, because she called me a name or because she took that thing off me first or whatever. And you're like, I see. So you felt slighted. You felt this, you felt that. And, and when he feels fully understand, you can say, all right, well, when that happens next time, what do you think is a better way to deal with this situation? It's exactly the same process with a little kid who's three or four and you can have the conversation briefly. Now, sometimes they just won't talk. I have a seven-year-old who hates this. She, she just goes, mm, mm, 
And I say, no, 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 we need to talk. And she'll say, mm. And I'm like, mm, he's not talking. And she'll say, mm. <laughs> at, at which point I'll, I'll give her a hug and I'll say, right now you don't feel like communicating about this at all, do you? I can see how defensive you feel. This is upsetting for you. We will talk about this. We need to resolve this. But why don't you go and have 10 or 15 minutes of quiet time? You can go read a book. You can go for a swim in the pool. I don't care what you do so long as you treat others respectfully. And when we're both a bit calmer, we'll talk about it then. A lot of parents and employers think you've got to deal with the crap that's been handed to you yeah. in the moment. Yeah. It's often the worst time to deal with it. Give it a, a, an hour, give it a day, give it a week. Set an appointment, make it clear that this will be discussed so that people know that there's a level of accountability and then let it go till everyone's totally cool. And maybe that night you sit on the edge of their bed, not your employees, but your children. Um, <laughs> well, it depends which business you're <laughs> yeah, I guess it today. does. Looking at you right there. Yeah, yeah I there guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, so you sit on the edge of their bed because they, they open up at nighttime. They're feeling relaxed. They're feeling calm and we feel better as well. And we might give their leg a squeeze or we're scratching their back and we say, hey, we need to talk about what happened today. And then it's the same process. Yeah. Explain, explore, empower. Yeah, cool. So let's now talk symptoms. What are the what is the old school ways of disciplining a child that just fundamentally that have been proven by the now decades of pediatric research that we have when it comes to neurodevelopment and behavioral research that just fundamentally don't work. They're quick, yep. but they don't work. Yeah, what so anything that's control-based. Yeah. Uh, so, so smacking. It, smacking's the number one. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a meta-analysis published a couple of years ago, 50 years of smacking research. Now, I want to be clear. This is smacking, or as the US calls it, spanking yeah. research. This is not abuse. This is yeah. smacking. Yeah. All right, and they, they, were, they were very clear with this meta-analysis with these hundreds and hundreds of studies that they pulled in. If there's anything that, that would be into the abusive side, we don't include it. We're just talking about... A smack. Yep. Okay. I cross the back of the hand or the, the 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 bottom or whatever it might be. Fifty years of smacking research shows that across every variable ever measured, and they pulled out. I think I can't remember if it was ten or thirteen variables that that seemed to matter the most. There is not a shred of credible evidence to support smacking for anything. The only modest finding is that you will get a short term change in behaviour. But a, a fascinating study about eight years ago now by a guy called George Holden, which is one of the who was one of the world's foremost authorities in, in spanking, spanking research, uh, showed that even when we smack our kids, in seventy three percent of cases, within ten minutes they're back at challenging behaviour again. So when I say short term benefit, yeah. we're talking mega short term. What are we talking about in terms of long term? Yeah, significant. So, so we model poor relationship skills. Uh, there's problems. Resolving problems with violence. Yeah, yeah. pretty much, yeah. And, and research shows that if you bully your kids physically, yeah. and that's what, that's what this really is, uh, then they're more likely to be bullies themselves to their siblings and to others in the playground and, and they grow up to smack. You know, people say, oh, I was smacked as a child and I turned out fine. I grew up with respect for authority. But the research would suggest that if we're smacked as children, we're much more likely to endorse punitive methods ourselves. You know, this, this is, I'm going to go global for a second. can't remember who the researchers were, but about 10 years ago, a paper was published that showed a, a significant correlation between a country's endorsement of smacking and, you know, physical violence towards children and the likelihood of them being involved in significant global warfare. No so, so if you grow up in a country where harsh physical punishment is the norm, you are also growing up in a country where that, you're more likely to go to war. Yep. Uh, and you look at the countries that don't go to war so much, look at those lovely Northern European yep. countries, 
they've outlawed smacking for, for decades now. They're peace-loving countries in the home, which changes the culture at a global level, yeah. from the individual to the global. Isn't that phenomenal? No, it's, and it makes perfect sense when we look at the state of the world right now. And now that is a, cor- it's a correlation, okay? It's not, there's no way that you can experimentally do this, but it's a It's a, it's a really very interesting correlation. Interesting correlation. Banking, what else? Uh, withdrawal of privileges. Okay. Uh, so this is where we take take their device off them or we uh, take their ball off them. I'm, I'm taking your trunk, Tonka trunk and I'm going home because I don't like the way you're playing with your sister or your brother. Uh, withdrawal of privileges, again, the research would suggest that this is a big power play yep. and it doesn't get us a long-term result. It just makes our kids hate us. How do we teach kids consequence in a healthy way? Well, this goes back to the whole empower thing and I'm so glad that you came back to that. Let, let me finish the other, the, other, uh, the other ones very quickly and we'll come back to that. So there's timeout. Yep. I call timeout solitary confinement yep. or forcible isolation. The United Nations uh, half a dozen years ago actually mandated that, you know, it was a violation of human rights to put solitary people into confinement. solitary confinement and yeah, yet we right. do it in our homes every day. Yeah, uh, we, right. We've got to stop doing that. Time out, not helpful. Time in, wonderful. Now, now, let me be clear. Every now and again, we might say to our child, this isn't working. We need some space. And in fact, I did this with I my... I go to your room and play for a moment. Yeah, or, or go somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and, and my seven-year-old the other day, this, this is actually why it was top of mind, she refused to talk to me. She was so rude. And, and I was like, I won't have you being be so rude to me. I can understand how upset you are, but right now you're you're being really, really rude. And I said to her, I want to be with you and I want to resolve this with you because I love you. And so rather than giving her a time out, I invited her to be closer and I explained how I feel about her. I tried to draw her to me with my love. You can see again, mm-hmm. what's your energy? And are you trying to hurt or help? I want to help her. And I said to her, my, my goal is to help you through this, but you're pushing me away. I said, so I can leave you here in your room until you've calmed down or we can talk about it now. And she said, mm. and I said, okay, I get a really strong sense from you that you don't want me around right now. Let me be clear that you're choosing to send me away. Before I go, would you like a hug? Mm. I said, okay. I walked to the door. I opened the door. I said, I'm giving you another chance because I really do want to be with you. Would you like a hug? I said, okay, when you're ready for a hug, you come get one because we need to spend time together and we're going to enjoy our time together more if we're hugging. And I stepped out of the room and I waited about 30 seconds. Now, she was not punished. She was not in trouble. But a consequence of her behavior was that she was isolated from me, but she chose it. I didn't put it on her. And then I stepped back in after about 30 seconds. I said, have you calmed down enough for a hug yet? And she gave me the other, uh, again. I said, okay, I'm going to go, but I really want that hug and I know that you want to talk to me. So when you're ready for it, let's do that. It took about five minutes. And after about five minutes, she came to me and she said, I think I'm ready for a hug. And I said, okay, go back to your room. I'll be there in a sec. I've just got to finish what I'm doing. So she went to her room. I walked back in about 30 seconds later and I said, are you sure you're ready for a hug? And she looked at me funny and sort of half nodded. And I said, if you're ready for a hug, put your hand on your nose. And she put a hand on her knee. <laughs> and, and, and we turned it into a bit of a game. And I walked over and I gave her a little tickle and I scratched her back and I said, it feels good when we, when we can talk nicely, doesn't it? And she sort of snuggled into me and we had a, a really nice chat. So forcible isolation, it doesn't work. It makes kids hate us. My mum sent me to my room when I was 15. Uh, I remember the incident quite clearly. Uh, my, my sister had upset me and I said, Karina, you, you're, you're just a stupid idiot. 
And my mum said, Justin, we don't speak like that in this house. You say sorry right away. And I said, fine, Karina, I'm sorry. You're a stupid idiot. <laughs> and mum sent me to my room. Think about what you've done. And I worked to my room and I sat down at my desk and I thought to myself, I'm an impediment to my family's happiness. I need to be a better brother. And now that I've spent some time in my room, I'm resolving to be a better human as soon as I leave this room. Like no teenager ever said, no, no kid ever says that. I was like, my mum, I, I hate my mum. She doesn't understand. I hate my sister. I'm going to get her back. I plotted my revenge. So that's what forcible isolation or timeout does. So they're the, they're the standard ones, you know, and there's a handful of other things, but they're the standard ones, yelling, threatening, all that sort of stuff. Um, How do, and threat's actually an interesting one because it often becomes like a real easy default in general conversation, whether you're getting them out of the pool, trying to get them ready for... And then you've got to follow pool. through and you feel like scum. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you, so how do we get the children to do what we want without even using subtle threat? Yeah, cool. So um, this, this ties back in with your previous question about consequences, yep. okay, because the threat and the consequence are the, are the same. Yep. So there are consequences to actions, okay? And it might be that if the kids, let, let's use the pool example, get out of the pool, you know, it's time to leave the beach, just one more swim, and they go in, I've got to get the sand off, and then halfway up the beach they fall on the sand, and oh, I've got to get the sand off again, and they run back down to the water. Um, what we do is we have that conversation. We explain, we explore, and we empower. But the empower conversation, I only told you about the good stuff earlier. There's also the consequence aspect to it as well. Well, I did breeze across it. And that is when they come up with a, an empowering solution that doesn't actually work or that fails to acknowledge that there needs to be a consequence, sometimes we might say, well, that's not quite enough. Um, for example, let, let's not use the beach. Let's use uh, you've broken something that belonged to me or your brother, or your sister. You've broken something that was of value. When we say, so what are we gonna to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? They might say, well, I've gotta be more careful and I shouldn't throw balls in the house. Great, that's really important. But what are we gonna do about the breakage? Because you need to be accountable for that. Uh, what, what's gonna happen there? So we empower them to come up with a solution. And the consequence is part of that empowering so they might have to, uh, empowering them, we're, we're not just empowering them to come up with good solutions to make sure stuff doesn't happen in future, we're empowering them to use their OAR, O-A-R, their ownership, their accountability and their responsibility. You're not truly empowered unless you're being responsible. And so if they won't get out of the pool or if they won't repair the damage or if they won't do this or do that, we need to hold them accountable. So we bring them back into that empowering conversation. We say, I want to help you to be responsible. This will help you to be a better human being. As you take responsibility for your behavior, you'll become a better person. You'll be more trustworthy. You'll be more reliable. You'll become the sort of person that people want to be with because they know they can count on you. So we need you to use your all, ownership, accountability, responsibility. You've made a mistake here. You haven't done as you were asked and it was a reasonable request. I gave you a 10 minute warning. We're done at the beach in 10 minutes. You stayed for another 20. You kept going in the water. You wouldn't get in the car. You kept getting sandy. How can we fix this so that this doesn't happen again? What responsibility can you take? You hurt your sister. Now it's great that you've said that you're not gonna get in that situation again, but what else do you need to do? That's right, you need to say sorry. Now I'm not gonna tell you that you've got to do it right this second, but I want to find out by the end of the day that you've done it, you've done it properly. By the way, a quick aside, a good apology for anyone, whether you're a child or an adult, should have four elements. I'm sorry for what I did. State what you did. I'm sorry that I hurt you. And then state the effect that it had on them. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I know that it made you feel like you can't trust me and it, it made you cry. And the last part, which I think is the most important of all, is will you forgive me? Will you forgive me matters because it says 
what I did, you know, when someone says, I'm sorry, and everyone says, yeah, that's okay. Sometimes it's not okay. And I want my kids to know that sometimes it's not okay. So that you ask for forgiveness. That's, that's, that's the humility. That's really making, making it right. Yeah. Will you forgive me? And so we go through these empowering conversations with our children and with our employees. And we say, this is what's happened. There, there, ne- there may need to be a consequence to this. But isn't it great if you sit down with an employee and say, you failed something that I asked you to do. I've explored where you're coming from. I can see why it all happened. But ultimately, this is, a, this is an HR issue. We've got a clear policy and you failed this policy in a significant way. What do you think is the, the, the right way forward from here? Isn't it amazing when you've got an employee who says, well, I, I don't really want you to, but I, I suppose I probably deserve a written warning for this and some counseling over it. And you can say, yeah, okay, job done. You give them the, they, they've already told you what the consequence should be. Yeah. And so that's what we're working towards. Now, it's really interesting because there's a difference between consequences and punishments. Punishments is when somebody with power does something horrible to another person to make them pay a price. A consequence, in this context at least, is when the person recognizes that they've done wrong and acknowledges that there is going to be a... They actually, they're choosing their price in a sense. They're saying, yeah, I messed up and this is what I know needs to happen now and I accept it. It's such, it changes the dynamic. The relationship remains positive and helpful and healing rather than punitive and punishing and horrible. Nice. One of the things that I've learned being a parent, also a leader in business, but especially as a parent, you know, and I'm talking as someone who's experienced an unusual amount of trauma in my, in my childhood and it's, it's affected me in a range of different ways. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to lay blame on any experience that I've had to just put me in the, any of the situations that I'm in, but I'm certainly now more aware of how I got to where I am, especially when we're talking about addiction, right? So I'm an addict. I'm, I'm very open about this conversation. Uh, and I was always very curious about how is it that I developed this desire to, to want to numb myself and to desire to want to relieve pain very quickly. And when I started to become a parent, when I started to you know, really research the latest information and the, around how a child's brain develops, and what a child really needs in order for a healthy brain to form so that they learn how to regulate emotion in healthy ways, so they learn how to regulate stress in healthy ways, so that their brain develops in a way that show, that literally in almost an automatic nature, it, it does it for them, so to speak. And so one of the things that I've learned about is the importance of safety, of children feeling safe, of children trusting us. Uh, and again, when we start looking at the way that we discipline people or the way that we discipline our children specifically, we really start looking at, okay, there's a level of threat there. There's a level of, you know, broken tr- potential to break trust, but there's also a level of fear that is inspired that makes these children experience high levels of stress, which has a biochemical response, high levels of emotion that in many cases they haven't got the tools to regulate. But when we look at children and in some cases we go, oh my God, they're, they're in a state, they're having a complete meltdown. We look and we go, the last, because the logical conclusion is, the last thing this kid right, needs right now is a hug because all, the, the assumption is, you know, stimulus response. Well, if I hug this child, all I'm doing is reinforcing that this behavior is okay. Is this still the way that we should be approaching like children having meltdowns in aisle four? Yeah, parents say this all the time. If I hug them, I'm just reinforcing the negative behavior. It's baloney. It, just, it, it, it doesn't stack up. You, let, let's put this into an adult context. You are stressed out. You, you've gone through something traumatic. You've just had a phone call. You've gone, you, you know, something's just happened right here in front of you. It's traumatic. It's frightened you, it's messed you up, whatever it is, and you're, you're in a really significant emotional state. Maybe you've just had a major, major conflict with somebody. What do you need right in that moment? 
do you need somebody to say, cut it out, stop being so silly, that's enough, go to your room and calm down? Or do you need somebody to say, you feel awful, you've just been through, you're, you're really struggling with this, just come here and let me, let me hold you, let me make you feel safe. I think that that's the answer. You know, as adults, we crave it. Let, let's, let's choose a, a much simpler example. You're driving home, you're stuck in traffic, you get home half an hour late, you got a speeding fine on the way home because you were rushing when the traffic finally broke. You walk in the door, you've, you've had a blow up with the boss that day and your spouse or significant other, your partner says to you, if you're gonna walk in here looking like that, you know, you're gonna bring that attitude, that negative energy in here, you just go to your room. I, I don't wanna see that. It doesn't work, does it? As an adult, you walk in and, and you want them to say, wow, it looks like you've had a rotten day. What can I do to help? Do you need a hug? Do you just want some time? Do you wanna sit down? Can I get you anything? And all of a sudden, you feel that burden, that stress start to, start to disappear. And, and you feel safe and you feel like you can fall into their arms and have a little cry or laugh and say, you wouldn't believe what happened today. And that's what our kids need. That safety and security is exactly what they want. So when they're having a meltdown in aisle four, what we do is we leave the trolley and we get in on the floor with our child and we say, you feel really awful right now. We, you know, I mean, look, rule number one, don't take kids shopping. You know, just, just don't. Kids and shopping centers are not a good mix. But if you don't have a choice, if you have got to take them shopping, then, uh, then set yourself up for success. Don't take them when they're tired. Give them a treat as soon as they get there. You know, buy them a punnet of strawberries as soon as you walk in the door. Let them know, no lollies today, kids, but you can choose anything from the fruit aisle. We'll pay for it straight away. I mean, a lot of supermarkets are giving away free fruit for kids now anyway. Um, and give them a, a treat, make it special for them. Engage them, let them pull things off the shelves. You know, don't stare at your phone, stare at your child and, and, and spend that time with them. If they do have the meltdown because they want to have that treat that's on, you know, the shelf there, move away leave the trolley at the service desk, take them for a walk, get outside, let them know that you, you love them. If they want to lay on the floor and kick and scream, the, you know, punch the ground, let them do that and say, as soon as you're ready for a hug, I'm right here. Invite them in, invite them in, invite them in, give them their space and then they'll come to you and they'll calm down. And that's been transformational, especially for myself and Noah, uh, because you know I come from background training animals. You know I've worked with dogs and horses and again, it's what behavior reinforcing by reward. The re and again, the difference being is dogs don't have a, free, a prefrontal cortex. Children do. And so their brains develop in different ways. And it's been profound. And I just want to really endorse this, the level of transformation that I see in Noah when he is having those moments where he is overwhelmed. He, and you literally look at him and go, okay, now I, I can look at you and go, I can see you don't actually have the mental capabilities to deal with the level of emotion you've got running through your brain right now. So I'm just going to get down to your level. I'm going to hold you nice and tight and just whisper words, buddy, it's okay, you're safe. You're all right. Everything's going to be okay. And then slow down and look at him and go, look at me, buddy. Look at me. You must be frustrated right now. You must be experiencing. Boom. You've labeled it. see that yep. you're experiencing high levels of emotion right now. Yep. And I want you to know it's okay, buddy. It's okay. And we'll get through this together. And we'll get there. And I say, and I've taught him now, we'll take a deep breath. Come on. And he's the only child that I've met that's four that when he starts getting a little bit hyped up or when he's getting upset, I can say to him from across the room, Noah, take a breath. And he'll go, Rah. You're beautiful. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. But then the transformation that takes place. And again, you know, parents are looking at you, well, you fucking teach your child. Well, I shouldn't say that. You should be teaching your child. You know, the, you, you receive the judgment. You see the judgment. But the power in the process you're talking about, it's just phenomenal. But look, there's a lot of, you know, parents out there that are dealing with, you know, high stress situations. And one of the things that I've learned about now is the importance of 
teaching our kids how to deal with stress by showing them how to deal with it. You know, teaching kids how to deal with pain by showing them how to deal with it. Because what I've learned from my own experiences, I wasn't taught how to deal with pain in a very in a, in a very healthy way, and I wasn't taught how to regulate pain in a very healthy way because you know my parents or one of my parents wasn't necessarily able to do that. Uh, which, when the moment a quick fix was introduced, it made it very easy because oh, that just makes it easy. And again, I don't want to be saying to parents that we do. There's a great book, and maybe you've heard of it. It's called, written by a guy called James Oliver. It's called They Fuck You Up. It's actually a book on parenting called They Fuck You Up, and it literally talks about how parental induced trauma dramatically increases. You know, the risk of addiction, the risk of ADHD, the risk of you know juvenile criminal behavior and all these other attributes, which is really quite fascinating. But one of the most devastating things that can happen to a family unit or perceived to be, which I'm finding out isn't necessarily the truth right now. But what's interesting is um, both my wife uh, and myself, we come from families that you know experience divorce at very young ages. When, Which also transfers intergenerationally. intergenerationally. You know, all the research shows Absolutely. much higher risk if you come from that family. But yeah. what's interesting is the level of dedication that both my wife and I have to demonstrating, you know, um, and it's interesting because Vanessa's talking about this is the title of her next book, Divorce Without Damage, you know, where it can, it is possible to go through separation and to go through, you know, a divorce without actually creating any additional trauma, you know, that can create long-lasting impacts that can affect the trajectory of that child's entire life. And you've only got to look at the data of, you know, what happens to a child, what are the increased probabilities and variables of a child that goes through divorce? It's not necessarily a good-looking scenario. It's not a pretty picture at no, all. No, but there is a way that we can approach it in a healthy way. I'm, I'm in the middle of this myself, and I'm not saying it's, it's easy. It's not. It's very difficult because we have to put our shit, our beliefs, our control to the side. But what are some of the things that we can do as parents perhaps are in the early stages of a separation or in the midst of a divorce that might be a little bit messy? Because I think one of the things that parents do is they put themselves first, not the kids. And that's the, that to me is the mistake, right? How do we as parents get our head around the potential of, and I'm going to say it bluntly, that if we don't deal with separation well, if we don't deal with divorce well, we are going to potentially fuck this kid up for life in ways that we will never in some cases truly understand because we don't understand you know, the development of a child's brain at that level. How do we, first of all, understand the importance, but secondly, how do we do go through a separation? How do we go through a divorce and put the kids first and actually do it in a healthy way that will enable them to live, you know, the, increase the probability of them living healthier lives? You need to be a pretty enlightened individual. That's, that's the reality of it because there's so much emotion. There's so much baggage aligned with it. Look, a, a couple of things. First of all, you want to treat your ex as a business partner or... or as a business client. And the reason for that is you're very, very rarely going to send your business clients text messages at 1am calling them names and telling them what you really think. No matter how you feel about that business client, they're keeping your business afloat and you're going to treat them respectfully. You're going to bend over backwards to make sure that they feel satisfied. Now, if both parties can do that, we're already off to a really, really, really good start. I'm going to say, but if we can't have both parties doing that, at least one party needs at to. At least, yeah, ideally both. But if, yeah. if both, for whatever reason, because of their own stuff, yeah. can't, and, and, and by the way, can't means don't want to. Yeah. Uh, you know, if one of them doesn't want to because they've got too much pride, too much anger, too much bitterness, too much resentment, we, we really do need to bend over backwards to see this person as a, a business partner or a business client. So that's the first thing. The second thing, just don't speak badly about your ex to your kids. Just, just don't. It's so destructive. It, it really is. It's so damaging. And 
anyone who's been in this situation, I've talked to so many people who have been through this, the, the damage that's done and, and somebody's always going to do it, but don't be the one. Because once the kids do get older and they do become adult, one day they're going to be like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being gendered here purely. I'm, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just going to say, mum, uh, mum, you, you always uh, gave dad the benefit of the doubt. You never said anything bad about him. Dad's constantly been saying horrible things about you, you know. And, and, and over time, I've started to see that the person who's doing the horrible stuff is actually the horrible one. Uh, you, you need to stand on higher ground. In addition to that, there's, there's a handful of things that I think we can do to really help things to, to, to go well. Number one, stay close geographically. Mm-hmm. Once you've got parents that are living interstate or even a few hours away from each other, it's just so hard for the kids. You, you ideally want the kids to be able to go to the same school regardless of whose house they're living in. Uh, you want them to have access to the same resources, the same friends, the same opportunities, regardless of whether they're living in mum's house or dad's house or, you know, partner one, partner two. How important is it for children to have that level of consistency? Like, and at what age does it not become an issue when changing schools, for example, because maybe one parent moves across to the other side of the city? Like, is, is there a level of importance placed on, you know, something as simple as what school that they go to? Yeah, I think that, I think that it really matters. Uh, and as, as a couple, as a business client to business client kind of relationship, you, you sit down and you say, you know how I feel about this. I know how you feel about this. But can we just pause and work out what's going to be in the best interest of our child? Let's, let's check the ego at the door, please. No egos. We're just in here. We're having a conversation together about the child's best interest. And, and that's really where we've got to focus. You know, my job here is not to hurt you or not to hurt the child. My job here is to help. It's a question that pervades all of our relationships. So we want to make sure that um, we're, we're close geographically. We want to make sure that financial resources are somewhat equitable. Um, that can be really challenging. Uh, but one of, the, one of the biggest issues that parents will say is that uh, when I go to dad's, it feels like I'm on holidays. I've got the big screen TV. I've got the modern house. Oh, yeah, Disneyland dad. When I'm at mum's, well, mum's just, mum hasn't got the money. She hasn't got the resources. And, and the other thing aligned with that is we don't want to just give dad weekends and holidays. Dad should be, to the extent that it's possible, involved in the day-to-day care. Because otherwise, dad is just the fun guy and mum does have to do all of the stuff. And it gets really hard. Um, so there, there are a couple of things to bear in mind. Uh, there's, there's a lot more. And I think that rather than me waffling on about it, Vanessa's book about divorce without damage would probably be a really nice place to be. Well, she's, still, she's only still in the early stages. Uh, of her she's journey. putting it together. She's putting okay. it together right now. She's, she said it's, uh, it's a work in process, which is fantastic. Mate, uh, last but not least, if there was one incredible piece of advice that you'd give to every single parent out there that is tried, true, tested and guaranteed to give them an, an effective outcome every time, what would that be? Oh, wow. Um, no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift the question a little bit because ultimately, so long as the – okay, the, the, the short answer is let your kids know that they matter mm. in everything that you do and say, everything that you do and say. But I'm going to pick up this book that I've left on the desk here for a sec. So my new book's called 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know. Uh, and, and in the book, I, I've dedicated the book to every parent who wanted to be better. So you're not going to read the book unless you want to be better anyway. But in the book, I – I give this, I guess, advice. I guess you'd call it advice. And I think that this is the, the most important thing that any parent can know. And it's probably more about you than it is about the kids. And I, I've, I've said this, I'm going to read it. Do you mind if I no, read it? No, please. I, I, we're going to have a book, ah, reading, book reading right now. Okay. Into the big, in addition to the big ideas that I've shared in this book, there's one more thing that I believe every parent needs to know 
when it comes to child rearing. You are good enough. As a parent who is intentional and devoted, you will feel like a failure a lot. It's inescapable. You will be your own worst critic. Now and then others might criticize you as well, even if they're well-meaning. Your partner might point out a parenting failure, your parents or in-laws, or your own children may also highlight a hypocrisy or inconsistency. You'll say you don't care, but it still hurts. Some days will be worse than others. But that feeling of inadequacy, the never-ending question of, am I enough, will be present persistently. Now, I'm going to skip through a little bit here, and I just want to be clear. You, you are enough. You need to believe that. I've said this. In the novel 93, French, Victor, uh, sorry, sorry, French writer Victor Hugo wrote, she broke the bread into two fragments and gave them to her children who ate with eagerness. She hath kept none for herself, grumbled the sergeant. Because she's not hungry, said a soldier. No, said the sergeant, because she is a mother. It's almost impossible to put into words the depth of love that we feel as parents towards our children. As Cordelia explained in Shakespeare's King Lear, when speaking of her love for her parent, my love's richer than my tongue, I cannot heave. God, got a, bit, a bit emotional. My, 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 my love is richer than my tongue, I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. I love that. When, when we think about our kids, the feelings in our heart, we just can't possibly put into words. If you feel that way towards your children, then you are enough. The endless laundry, the thankless tasks related to maintaining your home, the challenges children provide, each compounds to make us feel like it all might be too much. And Instagram makes it look like everyone else is doing it so well. They get their pre-baby body back in five weeks, their meals all look like they've come from a hatted restaurant kitchen and they seem to have so much more time to spend doing meaningful activities with their children. The surest way to feel poorly about your parenting is to compare yourself with others, especially when you mostly only get to see their highlights reel. Let me, let me be really clear about this. Parenting is as much about the good times on Instagram as it is about those moments you would never want anyone to see. It's about how we respond to the runny noses, the fussy eating, the wet beds, the soiled underwear or the puddle on the carpet that provides evidence that the toilet training still has a way to go. It's about how we respond to the complaints that my legs are sore and I can't walk on tired mornings, the lost school jumpers and the never-ending sibling challenges that confront every parent of more than one child. Our responses to those micro moments that occur endlessly day in and day out set the foundation for our children's lives right back to what you were talking about, Kerwin. It's our response to that little stuff that actually sets the foundation. Last couple of lines. As you respond with patience, kindness, understanding, compassion, and a desire to help rather than hurt, you're doing enough. You're doing all that's required. You're growing, you're loving, and you are enough as a parent. You're doing work that will never be seen by anyone beyond your family, but the value of that foundation that you lay will last for generations.
Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful summary. So Dr. Justin Colson, if people want to find out more about the book, The 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know, A Positive Solutions for Everyday Parenting Challenges, where can they find out more? Oh, look, it's, it's all online. Happyfamilies.com.au is where you find everything about me. I love to speak. I love to work. I love to write. I love to make a difference in people's lives. So, And you're a very, very passionate, very invested man. Dr. Justin Colson, thanks for being. Good on you. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers, mate. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews. Make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray. Kerwin Ray.